Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church at this time if you wish. Uh, The rest of us, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles um, and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I just read the first several uh, verses of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is where we will be this morning. As we continue this book, uh, we will not take each individual chapter. We've more or less have been doing that through our series on Ecclesiastes. Um, But today we're skipping verse 6 and going on to verse 7. A lot of what the preacher, what uh, Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 6 is kind of rehashing things he's been through over the first five chapters. So it's kind of a a way of summary. So we're going to go to chapter 7 this morning and take a look at that in a sermon titled, The Crooked Way. What would you straighten out in your life? What would you straighten out in your life if you had the opportunity, if you had the power to straighten out something in your life, what would it be? It might be a small thing. It might be a big thing. It might be a difficult thing. I'm not sure what it is, but what are some of those things that you might straighten out in your life? Something you've probably realized already that if anything, this life is not, this life is not a straight path. There are many crooks along the way. There's many turns along the way. And as far as we can see and as far as we can understand, these twists, these turns, these unexpected are confusing. Sometimes they seem trivial and shocking and perplexing. Sometimes the crooks in the road are sharp and painful. Sometimes the crooks, the bends in the roads are more like meandering and winding. Have you ever been lost before? For some reason, I remember this, my, my parents probably especially remember this, a time when I was lost. It was at a parade in Metairie, which the parade route is not that difficult in Metairie. It's Veterans Boulevard all the way. But for some reason, I decided to cross the street with some friends in order to catch a frisbee or something or the other, something, something stupid, right? And so when I crossed back over the street to where my family was standing, all of a sudden I was all disoriented and turned around and I was going up and down Veterans Boulevard, what seemed like a lifetime, but was probably only about two or three minutes, having no idea where I was running back and forth, trying to find out where I was and if I was lost. Maybe you felt like that in your life before, right? It's something little, something you're having a good time, life seems to be going good, and one small step, one quick turn, one something or the other, all of a sudden you're confused, you're lost, you're panicking, and you just wish the path would be straight so that you could find your way home. Have you felt that before? Maybe it's simple things like that. Maybe it's big things. Maybe tragedy you've endured, loss that you've endured. Maybe it's just your path in life that's kind of been meandering. I've experienced that before. Someone asked me in 2004 what my 10-year plan was. I didn't know what my 10-minute plan was at that point, but to follow the Lord. I didn't know that he would bring me back to this church. And 10 years after that person asked me that question in an apartment in Jackson, Mississippi, that I would be the pastor of the church that I grew up in. I had no idea. And at times along that 10 years, there was a lot of meandering, a lot of, God, where are you leading me? Let me faithfully follow you. I wish the path would have been straight at times, a little clearer five or 10 years ago. Have you experienced that before? Maybe you're living that right now. God, where are you bringing me in my life? Where are you bringing me with my family? How will all of this turn out? And if someone asks you your 10-year plan, you're just hoping to get to lunch this afternoon with a few things figured out. You're just hoping to decide where you're going to eat this afternoon, right? Have you experienced that before? 
And so we wish all of these crooks and these twists and turns would be made straight. And this is what the preacher's after in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A key verse is chapter 7, verse 13. Who can make straight what the Lord has made crooked? And the preacher is going to go through these moments as you probably go through at certain points in your life where you are, maybe, maybe become fatalistic, become overwhelmed, become, uh, become perplexed at what the Lord is doing. And you are just wondering how you can walk a straight path on a road that is twisting and turning. And that's what I want to tell you about this morning. How do we walk wisely? Because we want to walk wisely, right? We got that much right. The, the preacher has told us so far, life is confusing. Life is futile. Life is fleeting. And life is hard to understand. But we still want to know, how can we walk wisely? How can we walk the straight and narrow on a road that is winding? How can we walk wisely? And what I want to do this morning is kind of work this text backwards. So go ahead and look at verse 15. You may have noticed as we get into verse 7 that Solomon the preacher now goes into the proverbial. He goes into the poetic in the first 12 or 13 verses of of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And then when he gets to about verse 15, he begins to kind of unpack some of the things he just said. So the, the way I want us to kind of work through this text this morning is kind of look at the second half and what he is saying kind of, um, um, what he's kind of saying kind of philosophically so that we can back up to the first verses and get some sort of application of how we walk wisely in this world. Go ahead and look at chapter 7, verse 15. The preacher writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, in my vain life, remember, in my fleeting life, in my life that's like a vapor, in my life that seems futile at times, in my vain life, verse 15 of chapter 7 says, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It seems that perhaps this is where we get a song from. Only the good die young, right? This is what Solomon, in my vain life, I have seen that the righteous die young. And it seems like the foolish, even on account of their foolishness, seem to get away with it and live longer. In my vain life, I've seen everything. The righteous man perish in his righteousness. And the wicked man prolongs his life with his evil doing. And so you kind of start to feel this frustration once again from the preacher. Is why is it that it seems that only the good die young? And why does it seem that the foolish get away with so much? And I think he starts to get a little bit cynical. There's more to what he's going on here, but he starts to sound a little cynical, right? Do you hear what he says as he progresses out of that thought of what he has seen? He says, be not overly righteous. Don't make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Verse 17, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before time? Now, now some scholars said he's getting a little cynical here. Why should I bother being righteous? I'm going to die. Why should I even try to live a life that is wise? Why, why should we even try to do these things? He's perplexed and, and perhaps becoming cynical and saying, as perhaps you've said before, along the crooked path, as you see the wise and the foolish and the wise seem to die young and the foolish old. Why? 
What's the point? If we're all going to die, what is the point? Is he saying, look, don't be so, don't, have a little fun. Be wise, but don't be so stuck up, right? Be, be a little foolish, it seems like he's saying, right? Don't be overly righteous and don't be overly wicked. Like, don't be so foolish and so wicked and so evil that you do dumb things that end up killing yourself. Just be, a, just be a little sinful, you know, enough to have fun. Is that what he's saying? That's what it seems like. The first, like, is he just telling me to have a little fun and not just be so righteous? Is that what he's saying? Perhaps he's saying that a little cynically, perhaps. But I think there's more going on to what, what, the, what the preacher is telling us here. So don't be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from from both of them. So as he presses on in this passage, what he's saying in verse 18 is that the one who fears God, we're going to get back to back in a minute, is is the one who's going to come out of what? Both of these things. So he's saying both of these things are not proper, to be overly righteous and overly wicked. So what is he after? I think what he's talking about here is don't be self-righteous. Don't, don't base your hope of, of walking a straight and narrow life based on your own performance. Because if you think that you're going to find meaning, if you think you're going to find purpose, if you're thinking you're finding hope just by performance, then you need to get out from under there. We may be able to fool people in thinking that our righteousness, whether it be in church activity or even religious activity, is somehow going to give us life along this road. But the Apostle Paul is clear that the letter of the law kills. It's the Spirit that gives life. And so what the preacher is trying to get across to us here is don't be self-righteous. Don't be that person that always has to be right about everything. Don't be that person who bases your self-worth, that bases your life on your own performance. If you are doing that, he says, you're going to die anyway with a good resume, but not much more than that. Because it was all on yourself. And so what else is he saying? Don't be a person. We need to come out from under this, he says in verse 18, of both of these things, both the self-righteous and also the absolute unrighteous, just not caring about anything, not caring about how we live or, or what our actions do. You will cause harm to yourself and you will die because of your unrighteousness. So, so what is he saying? That, that we need to come out from under these things out of self-righteousness, and also out from under licentiousness. Perhaps there's a third way. Perhaps there's a better way. What's more, as he's saying, as he sees all of these things in his life, that it seems the good die young and the wicked die as well. And so don't be self-righteous. Don't be unrighteous. There is another way he goes on to say, not only that, but that. He's going to start to preach the gospel to us. No one is good. No one is good in and of themselves. That no matter the performance that we give in our own strength, this will not save. Look what he says in verse 20. Let's skip down a little bit. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth and does good and never sins. Somebody say amen. You know that, right? He's starting to see that in himself. 
You've seen that I'm not righteous and I know that I've never, that, that there's no one who never sins. Verse 21, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, what he's saying, no one is righteous. No one never sins. And you've seen in your own life, if you open your ears long enough, that someone talks evil against you. And if you've opened your mouth long enough, you've realized that you've talked evil to someone else. Your sin, you've been affected by other people's sin, and other people's sin has affected you. We live in a broken world, is what he's saying. And the answer, we live in a, in a crooked world. And we live in a, in a world filled with crooked paths where we experience all of these things, whether it's from our own sin or the sins of others. And the way to walk straight on the crooked path is neither to say heck with it all and live however you want, neither is it self-righteousness. He says in verse 18, we've got to come out from under these things if we are to experience the freedom that is living life under the sun according to the will of God. That's what we want, right? We want to be the people who are living in freedom. And it's not going to come perform because no one is good. And he admits again that the struggle is real. So he tells us already, he's told us so far, that he's perplexed. He's realizing no one's good. But he's still struggling to find out what the answer is. Look at verse 25. Go up to verse 24. He says, I will be wise, but it was far from me. It's hard to find wisdom. Remember Proverbs chapter 1, another wisdom book. To be wise is, is to walk in freedom, not fearing disaster, not scared of destruction, but living this life that is secure and safe and free in God. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know how to search out to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. I'm trying to find, how does this work? Have you ever opened a schematic I remember when my ice maker went bad, I found the schematic to find out what part I had to replace. Have you ever seen one of those things before? They're, they're extraordinarily confusing. There's lines and things going this. There's part numbers that are up this. And you're, you're trying to make sense. Like, I had, just tell me what part I need. Like, is there something I can plug into my phone and just tell me a YouTube video of how to do this without looking at the schematic? If you looked at a schematic of something complicated before, he's looking at all the schematics. Like, how does this work? Sinful man? People that are hurting each other, relationships that are broken, roads that are crooked. I turn my heart to know and to search, to seek wisdom in the scheme of things. Verse 25, I'm still in. And to know the wickedness of folly and foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nests. Now he's talking about personal experience here. Like he's sought after wisdom and he's been hurt by people. He sought it in relationships. But those he saw, their hands were fetters, still in verse 26. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. I just want to know how this works. I want to know how to walk straight on the crooked path. I want to know the way to freedom. I want to know the way, how do, how do I enjoy life under the sun? How do I find my way when I'm lost and running down the street and wondering where my parents are, right? How do I find my way when I don't know what 10 years holds, 
where God is going to bring me? How do I walk the straight and narrow when things are meandering or things seem to be going like this? My soul has sought repeatedly, he says in verse 28. But I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among these I have not found. So he's found a little bit as he's dealt with the relationships, but it's still not satisfying. Verse 29, the end of the chapter. So this alone I have found. Here's what I've discovered. Here's the scheme that I'm starting to see. That God made man upright. You could say it like this, that God made man in his image. That God made man good. He made creation good and something has gone terribly wrong. He's starting to preach the gospel to us, isn't he? The gospel is in Ecclesiastes. That there is none good. And God has made everything upright and that we are fallen and that we are broken and that we need to be made new. Here's what he says at the end of verse 29. He says, see, I've seen this alone. I've found that God has made man upright, but sin, they have sought out many schemes. You see, like, like we're making up ways to find, ever since Adam and Eve, right? Through Adam, sin entered the world and everything fell because of Adam. So with Adam and Eve, they begin to make schemes. How, how can we find freedom apart from God? And they sought to make their name great, right? And sin entered the world. They believed the lie. They believed the schemer and said, perhaps if we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told us not to eat. Perhaps if we break out of the shackles of the Lord, even the Lord had provided freedom for them, perhaps then we could be free. But what did it do? It enslaved them to sin. And so it goes for Solomon. I've sought this in relationships. I've sought this everywhere. I've sought all sorts of schemes. Have you been there before? But all sorts of, like what's going to make this right? Perhaps you thought that, 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 perhaps you thought by, Staying young, being nostalgic, seeking after money, being uh, whatever it may be. He's going to talk about this in a minute. We've sought all of these schemes. And we live in this frustration. God has made man upright. God has made this world good. But man has sought all of these schemes. So what will make everything right? And once again. As we see all through wisdom literature, this is starting to be the answer of everything, isn't it? Because he says it again. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says it, that the beginning of understanding, the beginning of knowledge is what? Fear of the Lord. And so it should not shock you when you look at the middle of this chapter. Look back at verse 18. Go ahead and look there. In verse 18, it is good that you should take hold of this. From that, withhold not your hand for the one who, what? Fears God. It's like we can't get away from this answer. We can't get away from this scheme, if you will, that the way to understand life under the sun, the way to walk the straight and narrow when life is filled and will be filled with all of this crookedness, the way for man who was made upright, who yet continually schemes to find his own freedom, the way is once again revealed to us what will help us, what will enable us to come out of under these things. He says in verse 18, out of under 
this idea of just living how I want and this idea of trying to live in a way of performance that I'm going to bring glory to God simply based on my performance that has nothing to do with him but just of what people think of me. The, re- the way we come out of that is fear the Lord. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to submit to him with everything I have. What is the beginning of it all, brothers and sisters? It is to fear the Lord. So it's like the the preacher in his wisdom is saying that how will our walk on this crooked road be changed? How will we rise out of the confusion? How will we cut through all of the, the chaos? How will we stop scheming? It's not to look for something, brothers and sisters, but it's a look, to look to someone. It's to stop looking to yourself. To stop looking to your performance. Stop looking to how you can figure this out and look to the Lord and say, Lord, would you be my wisdom? Did you know that Jesus is the wisdom of God to us? The Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians, that he is the wisdom of God for us. Did you know that Jesus is our righteousness, that he is our way, he is our shepherd, and to fear God is to follow the Son. So here in Ecclesiastes 7, the preacher is preaching the gospel to us and saying, come to Jesus, who is the wisdom of God to us. If we come to Jesus, we find freedom. To the broken sinner, Along the crooked path, the preacher shows us the way, the way of fearing the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord, there is freedom. For the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Go ahead and look at Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and following. So how does, this, how does this all play out in our lives? So we understand this, we stop scheming, we fear the Lord. Look at verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. I'm going to say some general thoughts, and I want to get some practical points that he's pointing out in verse chapter 7. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Now, As we open this in chapter 7, it seems like he's saying it's better to be sad than it is to be happy. But what this preacher is after for us, he said, don't be fooled by the outward appearance of the fools. They seem to be happy. They seem to be laughing a lot. But all of it is futile. All of it is fading because it's not founded in the fear of the Lord. So he's saying, brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by the perceived happiness of the fool." He's saying, brothers and sisters, don't be fooled if you fear the Lord and going through a crooked lot in life. Don't let that overwhelm you and fool you and think that somehow the good die young and the wicked win. He's saying it's better to fear the Lord as we've unpacked in the second half of this than to have this false happiness. And do you notice what he said? This is key to understanding the rest of this. That the day of death is better than the day of birth. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse, verse 2, and the living will lay this to heart. Here's what he's after. If you fear the Lord, then death is a very effective preacher. Let me say that again. If you fear the Lord, then death is a very effective preacher. And here's why. Brothers and sisters, if you fear the Lord 
death is no longer your Lord. Death no longer has the last word over you. Death no longer has power over you because Jesus Christ has defeated sin in the grave. Death no longer has power over you. It cannot speak a better word. It cannot speak the final word because Jesus has spoken the final word and it will never speak the final word if you are in Christ and if you are free from death, then death can be a powerful teacher. You don't fear it, you listen to it. And you realize that one day, unless the Lord would return and praise God, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, We'd love for him to return. But if he doesn't return in years, we will pass and go be with him. It's a powerful teacher. It doesn't have, it's not Lord over you. It's been defeated. But it has this way of, of clipping our self-sufficiency, clipping our way, wings of self-sufficiency, right? And saying, this is the end of it all. But the living, I'm going to lay it to heart. I'm going to listen. Say, one day I will meet the Lord. This life is not all that there is. Life under the sun is not all that there is. The best is yet to come. And so while I live on this earth, I'm going to live. While I walk this crooked life, it's very confusing. I'm, I'm going to listen. And I'm going to live for that day. There is something to this winding road and something that God is doing. When we fear him and know that we are limited, and we come to this place of surrender and trust, we come to this place of unbelievable freedom in the fear of the Lord. And in this way of freedom, brothers and sisters, we are free from trying to build a name of ourselves off of worldly standards. We are free of fearing the wise rebuke. We're going to talk about this just in a second. We are free from the love of money. We are free from the tyranny of the urgent. We are free from the pressure of the glorious past. We are free to be content in all circumstances, knowing that God appoints all things. Let's go ahead and take a look. Let's pull a few things out. I mean, here's, let me just say this. Here's one thing about the book of wisdom. A lot of times it feels like you're beating on a rock, and then all of a sudden it cracks open and you see these glorious truths, Right? That's how it feels preparing for these things. Here's the glorious freedom we have in Christ. Look at verse 1. Let me give you a few. Free in Christ. Free walking this way. I'm not fearing death. I'm listening to death. I'm living for that day. Living for another day. My eyes are set on on glory. And that affects the way I live today. I'm free in Christ because I fear the Lord. A good name is better than precious ointments. So this means if you are free in the Lord... You are free to no longer live for earthly standards. You are free to no longer base your value and your worth on your performance or what you can produce, right? That you are living for a day, if you are living for a name that is more precious than the most valuable thing you can think of, in this day it was precious ointment. So you are free that no matter the cost, we prize something different. And so if you are free in Christ and you are listening to death, if you are listening for that day, you are free to live in a way that your name, your character is better than anything this world can provide. You are free if you are free in Christ. Look at verse 5. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise. You don't have to be scared of discipline for the Lord disciplines those he loves. That you are free to listen to constructive criticism. 
because your value and your worth is not based on your own performance. And so if someone could give me constructive criticism, I can hear that, I can receive that because I'm living for that day and perhaps God will use this to refine me. Those of us who are in Christ are free to hear the wise rebuke. Listen to what he says in verse six. For the, as the crackling of thorns under a pipe, pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. What he's saying there is the laughter of fools goes up like thorns in a fire. It burns very quickly. It looks hot. It looks bright. It looks impressive, but there's nothing to it. So those who are in free in Christ, you can laugh a little bit and enjoy life because you know where all of this is going. Even the Proverbs 31 says it's the Proverbs 31 woman. She laughs at the time to come because you have nothing left to fear, not even death itself, because you fear the Lord. Those of us who are in Christ are free to be patient. Look at what it says in verse 8. Better is the end of the thing than it's the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Impatience is a way of escaping reality and wishing things were different. But if you're listening to the final day, if you're fearing the Lord and trusting that everything is coming from his hands, then brothers and sisters, you don't have to fly off the handle and be proud. You can be patient. You can live for that day, right? You are free in Christ to be patient. This is a fruit of the Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. You no longer have to live under anger. You no longer have to live for the tyranny of the urgent. Have you heard that phrase before? Where you're so frustrated because life is coming so quickly and so unexpectedly that you become impatient, you become angry, and every day is just trying to keep up. The Bible is saying those who fear the Lord, you're free from that because you're living for something else. You're living for another day. Look at what it says in verse 10. Say not, where were the, why were the former days better than these? For it is not in wisdom that you ask this. So we're free in Christ. We're living for a name, not for riches. The free in Christ are free to be patient. The free in Christ, those who are fearing the Lord, are not easily angered. And here he's telling us that those who fear the Lord have the freedom from the past. Do you notice what he's saying? He's saying don't get caught up in nostalgia. Churches are real bad about this, by the way. Do you remember the glory days, what it was like back then? Oh, if we could get back to that day. Then we'd really be blowing and going. Have you thought that before? Maybe you've thought that as a parent. If I could get back to this day. There's not, there's, there's nothing we didn't enjoy in the past and we rejoice in the past and thank God for the past, for sure. But if we fear the Lord and we know that he's leading me somewhere, that he's know he's leading me to that day, we know that he's doing something in this moment, in this time that's preparing me for glory, then I will not be so chained to the past that I miss what he's doing today. Churches are real bad about that, right? What, what is God doing today at Riverside? Yeah, it doesn't look like that, but what is he doing today? A church that fears the Lord. A church that's free from the past, is free to enjoy the present, and free to live for that day. 
This was even true for the people in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that they desired a better city, so they were free to move forward and free to know that God is doing something in this day. Maybe someone needs to hear that this morning, to let go of the past and start living for that day. Look at what he says in verse 13. We'll finish up here. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, considered God has made the one as well as the other so that man may find out anything that will be after him. All of this is from the hand of God. He's the one that ordains our days, whatever the crooks may look like. Why the crooks? Why the turns? Perhaps to teach us to trust. Perhaps to teach us to hope. Sometimes to discipline us. And by the way, the wise don't fear that. We just read that. Perhaps it's to convict us of sin in our lives. In all things, we know that the turns are to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Let me take you back to verse 29. And we'll end here. See this alone. I have found that God made man upright but they have sought out many schemes. Here as we are in the smack middle of Ecclesiastes, we read in verse 29 that futility is not the first word. God's good creation, making man, is, is, that's the first word. And futility is not the last word. And we know that because of Christ. We know that what he's driving at is that futility does not get the last word because we see in our Savior, Jesus Christ, that the crooked road, Father, if there be a way for this cup to pass over me, the the road to the cross ends in resurrection. And so we have this great hope, brothers and sisters, that as we live between the already and not yet, as we live in a sinful sin-torn world, God is making us new. And resurrection is coming. And I'm free. No longer fear death. No longer has to, so I listen. And I walk in freedom. Our crooked way through life leads to resurrection and prepares us for resurrection. And somehow we'll make resurrection even better for having experienced all of this crookedness. Brothers and sisters, we serve a Lord who makes the way straight. We serve a Lord who lifts up the valleys. We serve a Lord, the the prophet Isaiah said, who brings low the mountains. We serve a Lord who makes the rough ground level and the rough places plain. So let's walk the straight and narrow along the crooked way, trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, for he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray.